You're listening to the Straight Shooting Radio Show on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the hosts of the show, Jason Selms and Mario Vladko. Welcome to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on AHP Digital. Another show, Straight Shooting, of course, and with my, my co-host, Muzz. How are you, mate? G'day, Jason. Welcome back, everyone, to the Straight Shooting Podcast. And we just got back from the SHOT Show. This week's been a bit of downtime for me. Uh, it's been very crazy. Two whole days of the SHOT Show 2014 at Rose Hill Racecourse. We spoke to a lot of different people, uh, a lot of punters about what hunting, shooting, and fishing means to them, about politics, about absolutely everything. But... Before we get into that, I wanted to say uh, we're gearing up in New South Wales to the 2014 election uh, here in New South Wales. Now, I wanted to say to people, uh, a lot of people have heard different advertisements on the show, such as uh, Hunt Fest, such as uh, the SHOT Show which uh, advertisement, which we ran up until uh, the SHOT Show, uh, and we have going to run a gamut of different ads over the next 12 months. We're going to be running different political party ads. We're going to be running different dealer ads, uh, organization ads. And we wanted to say that this podcast and this show, AHP, uh, as a whole, uh, is not a mouthpiece for any particular organization, media outlet, political party. Uh, of course, me and Mario have our own personal uh, opinions about who we decide to vote for, and anyone that's listened to the show since the beginning knows who I vote for. But again, I, I think we should support anyone, any party, organization, or dealer uh, who supports freedom, uh, hunting, shooting, and looking after our rights, and I think that's hugely important. And I want to maintain the integrity uh, of this show, and I think uh, being beholden to any one particular organization, political party, dealer, or media outlet ultimately, in my opinion, is not good for the show. And I've spoken to a lot of people about this, Muzz himself, uh, friends and family, and they agree it's the it's the proper way to go because you're going to hear a lot of different advertisements from different political parties over the next, say, 9 to 12 months. And I wanted to make sure also, too, that we uh, just continue uh, this trend. And if people decide they want to advertise with the show, and we've run a lot of different advertisement, which is fantastic, um, Dan... Field from Huntfest called me what probably Mars a couple of weeks ago saying yeah. Huntfest was an absolute uh, just great because all the exhibitors were taken up all the you know all the spots there were all taken up uh, the public coming in there was absolutely fantastic and actually credits a lot of it to uh, the first time we started running that Huntfest ad but again like I want to tell everyone regardless of whether people decide to donate to the show uh, decide to run advertisements it doesn't mean they're exempt from criticism. We always give praise where it's due, and anyone supporting shooters' rights is okay by us. But like I said again, if we don't like something, even if people are donating, we're going to tell them otherwise where we think criticism is fair and well-deserved. Uh, on the other side, too, we're going to praise it where it's well-deserved as well. So, yep. again, we want to maintain integrity of the show. You're going to hear lots of different things. And uh, inevitably, competition is going to make uh, the organizations, dealers, and our political parties work harder for our vote. Uh, and not just expect our vote, which I think is really important, Mars. What do you reckon? Absolutely, Jason. It was uh, extremely important. I think we've made had good discussions for us to maintain the integrity of the show, to make sure their opinions are our own, and uh, to give praise where praise is due, and also to criticise when we feel that criticism is necessary. I think that's only good for freedom, and I think that's only going to be uh, better for shooters and freedom lovers in general. And uh, Jason Hunfest had a fantastic result from all your advertising, 
and uh, I'm really upset that I didn't wasn't able to make it. But I had a long planned hunting trip, which I went with my friends, and we had a fantastic trip, Jace. And I brought back so much meat, and uh, a couple of friends of mine were just making some sausages, really fantastic sausages. And uh, my mate shot this really nice pig, which I butchered. Uh, fantastic you meat. You didn't even bring me any of those sausages, mate. <laughs> I haven't, Chase. Honestly, I've given I've given away so many of them because they're just so delicious, and we'll put some on the barbecue. And uh, I've shot I shot heaps of goats on this trip too, which was great, and uh, butchered them. So. Yeah, anyway, it was a fantastic trip. All my friends that uh, came to this trip bought their bikes and uh, for the four-wheel drives, we had done a bit of spotlighting, uh, shot some uh, rabbits and we uh, a few foxes. So yeah, it was a fantastic trip and I'm really, really looking forward to next year. But I'm trying to hopefully change it so that next year, Jace, I'll be able to attend Hunt, Hunt Fest because I, I've never been, it's always been uh, colliding with the important date which was annual hunting trip that we always locked up to go on. But um, next year, I really want to try and make it to Huntfest, Jase. Let's talk about uh, the 2014 SHOT Show at Rose Hill Racecourse. Jeez, I'll, I'll tell you what, I am literally stuffed. On Monday night after the SHOT Show, uh, I was in bed at about 8.15 on Monday night and slept right through to about 7.30 the next morning. Uh, we spoke to people such as uh, Diana Mellum, Executive Director of the Sporting Shooters Association, um, all the guys at the Shooters and Fishers Party, so Robert Brown, Robert Borzak, Peter Johnson. Uh, we also spoke to the Liberal Democratic Party Senator, David Lionhelm. Had some awesome uh, input there from David Lionhelm, which I think was fantastic. Uh, Peter Whelan from the Outdoor Recreation Party. We spoke to Beretta. Yep. Uh, the Aussie Reviews guy off YouTube spoke to him as well. And also a lot of punters. We spoke to yep. a lot of people out the front. Uh, what hunting, shooting and fishing means to them. A lot of newbies just getting into the sport was fantastic. Yes. Friends, family. A lot of couples, a lot of boyfriend, girlfriends uh, out there just going to enjoy the show. It was quite interesting to listen to their point of views. And uh, a couple of great interviews. Also spoke to the boys at uh, the Action Paintball, Jace. Oh, yeah, that was good, Action Paintball, uh, about what the, the heavy restrictions on paintball shooting, I think, was absolutely unbelievable, some of the stuff we were hearing. We spoke to people about Airsoft as well and the guys at the Action Paintball about would they be, would they be able to gear up for Airsoft uh, if it actually became legal. And this is the thing I don't understand here in Australia, where we can buy like a three three eight. Lapua Magnum, uh, and we can also, I think we can buy a 50, a 50 cow here. If I can buy a 50 cow, how come I can't do yep. airsoft I know. when it's basically shooting these little plastic balls at each other? I mean, a firearms license for uh, owning a paintball yep. marker, you've got to have a safe to own a paintball marker. Yep. <laughs> I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. Some of the stuff, those, I think it was Mike and uh, Adam from Action Paintball uh, were certainly dropping some knowledge uh, on the listeners, but it was certainly a good time. Yeah, Jace, I mean, a lot of the things to do with airsoft are quite puzzling i mean if you try and make sense of the laws you'd, you'd get crazy really um because you cannot make sense of them um which is why we are hoping to elect politicians that will get, get in parliament and hopefully change the way people think in terms of airsoft jason this is more about policy to do with social social engineering rather than safety they don't want you owning anything that looks remotely like a military style firearm it doesn't really matter what it fires and it doesn't really matter, you know, um, if it's lethal or not. And uh, we spoke a lot to the boys at Action Paintball regarding this. I mean, that was a really great interview. Also, Jace, we spoke to Rob Vickling. Oh, uh, yeah, Beyond the Rob, Divide. Beyond the Divide. Rob. Always like Rob. Yep. Yeah, uh, he went, went to his uh, stall over there and spoke to him. Also, a great interview with David Abella. 
Oh, yeah, David Abella. Uh, we dropped a few little hard questions on David Abella. A lot of people would know a few weeks ago, uh, or, the, maybe, or last week or the week before, he was on uh, Triple M. Uh, yep. and did an interview uh, with a couple of the guys at Triple M about odd jobs, about owning a gun shop, and I found it was very interesting. And a couple yep. of times, that, and I like Dave, I love Abella's gun shop, some great stuff out there. But again, there were some times there where David could have just drilled at home, and we did ask him a few questions about this, and he did answer it, and he was a pretty good sport about it. So yep. uh, it was really good. One of the good ones uh, we wanted to sort of speak about, I think, was our uh, interview with uh, the general manager, I think he was, from the uh, Fire New South Wales firearms registry it was so interesting to we actually i didn't i didn't think at the time but it was sort of good cop bad cop i wasn't actually planning to ask any contentious questions because i knew if we did they'd probably terminate the interview even if we did get an interview and uh after about the fluffy questions from me Muzz decided to just <laughs> <to, laughs> <Muzz> just- <laughs> i'm surprised i'm surprised jason you lasted as long as you did um <laughs> it was starting to sweat a bit uh, I think his name was Dennis Corrin, uh, and he's the general manager of the firearms registry. And uh, uh, Muzz was just hammering him on uh, to. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So oh, it was it was fairly measured, uh, Jason. I was trying to be as uh, I guess as uh, polite as possible without uh, going overboard on on the questions. And the questions were quite quite good, I, I think. Uh, but um, I really can't wait for you guys to um, listen to this interview and a whole bunch of interviews. Uh, the shot show was just fantastic. Myself and Jason, we barely had any time to have a look at some of the gear. And I'm a little bit of a, uh, I guess, big kid. Uh, I love looking at all these toys, all these, all these different retailers that came out with, um, you know, the cap guns, the knives, the, you know, all these uh, fantastic little, uh, I guess, hunting paraphernalia. Uh, I love that stuff. I could look at it all day, and um, obviously the the firearms. There's some great semi-autos on display. Uh, in terms of the shotguns, there was um, heaps of fantastic scopes, excellent prices everywhere. And if you really missed it, then uh, don't miss it next time. It's a fantastic show, the SSAA uh, Shot Show. Yeah, who else do we speak to? We spoke to Keith from. Uh uh, Beretta as well. Yep. to Keith from Beretta. Uh, we also, again, who else do we speak to? I said Rob Fickley, Maroka. And I'll tell you what, go back on Rob Fickley at Maroka 30. I'll tell you what, he's got a tremendous setup uh, that he takes around uh, to these exhibitions. He's yep. got like rugs and flooring. And mate, I'll tell you what, it must be an absolute just killer to set this up. Uh, who else do we speak to? Marzi, Aussie Reviews. Who Aussie Reviews, we yeah. We saw Aussie Reviews there. We had a great interview with him, uh, all the boys from the SFP, Robert Brown, Borsak, and I couldn't tell the difference between one or the other at one stage, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> I started calling Robert Brown, uh, Robert Borsak, and vice versa. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the day went so quick, I just couldn't believe it. We just got there, we'd done a few interviews, and all of a sudden, bang, it was 5 o'clock, and I'm thinking, What? And we were absolutely exhausted. And then, I mean, afterwards, we went for a great dinner uh, with uh, Frank. Frank, yeah. Frank was there with us. Uh, good on you, Frank. You're a great company. And we went for a, a fantastic dinner at Hooters. And uh, <laughs> we always love going to Hooters, eh, Jace? <laughs> oh, it was, it was a tremendous, nice uh, burger there at Hooters. And we ended up seeing, which I did an interview, and I messaged it the night I got home on Saturday. And it was a previous guest on my show, Shana Dyson from the, from HCG or High Country Girl. Uh, so sorry, Shana, but we did see her at Hooters yep. I think, with a, with a, an entourage there at, at uh, yeah, Hooters. Come over, say good day. She come over and say good day and. Yeah, I mean, just a great shot show. Really, it was talking to the punters, and as I said, we're really stuffed by the end of it. But hopefully, 
I think from from my editing uh, over the last week, I think it's going to be two shows of an hour and a half, uh, mixing everything up and getting you all those interviews. And it'll be quite interesting to see uh, how in 19 or 18, almost 19 years since Port Arthur, uh, how a lot of people feel about firearms laws, feel about registration, feel about uh, their right to own firearms, things they would change. Mm. And it was just so interesting. And uh, this is the reason we fight, because we don't want to let go of our previous uh, freedoms and those, yep. and those firearms laws we had pre-1996, and I was not even 18, obviously, in 1996. I was only, what was I? That would have been probably 6, 15 or 16. So, oh, I would have been about, uh, I think, 22, 50, 23. 50, yeah. <laughs> 50. I'm a bit older. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. but uh, it's so interesting in how the outlook from a lot of people really is starting to change um we haven't had a few we had a few guys too where you said do you hunt shoot or fish and he goes oh i don't hunt at all i don't shoot things you know what i mean i was like well yeah, all right mate calm down a bit and you know we're only asking you a few questions but uh certainly certainly a fantastic weekend what do you reckon yeah it was a good week- weekend and um you know i'm not too surprised about some of the uh reaction from the punters outside because i think it was a bit of a 50 50 you had a lot of people that were i guess in generally in support of uh, the laws and of a whole heap of people that were really against it. But the ones that were in support of the laws, when you when you start to ask them questions as to why, pl- pretty much blurring out the same stuff that the media is pumping out through the negativity you know, of the firearms and all that. And you really see that their opinion is really just formed by the media. It's unfortunate, but that's just how it is, you know. I mean, media control a lot of how you think and what you think. So, yeah, Jace, but uh, fantastic interviews all around. Pretty much um, everyone um, everyone who is in the industry, uh, I mean, obviously, they're, they're severely, I mean, very pro-gun. And we didn't even get to speak to a lot of people. There were hundreds and hundreds of exhibitors there. I mean, we didn't even get to speak to everyone we wanted to speak to. Yeah. Uh, it was just, oh, it was crazy. But uh, anyway, we'll get on to our first piece of uh, news, I think. But before we do that, Muzza's going to take over with the first bit of news, mate. What have we got? What's uh, what's happening in Muzza's world? What's he been looking at? Yeah, Jason, it's been a great month for good news for hunters. And here we've got the Herald Sun from June 9th. Naptine government considers plans uh, to turn Victoria into a mecca for hunters. Excellent news. A plan to turn Victoria into a hunting mecca drawing tourists from around the world is being considered by the Naptine government. A report commissioned by the government due to be released today says the economic boost of hunting in Victoria last year was more than $400 million. Can you believe that, Jace? That's a huge amount of money. About four times higher than expected, and uh, there is potential for major future growth. Agriculture Minister Peter Walsh has flagged the idea of wooing tourists from interstate and overseas to hunt Victorian game and pest species, telling a parliamentary committee it could create a significant amount of economic activity in regional communities. Well, New Zealand has a has a strong hunting tourism market and he could see the opportunity in the high country and eastern Victoria to expand hunting tourism, especially for rare sandbar and hogdi, he said. Government report found hunting guides had to turn away potential customers paying up to $10,000 for a multi-day hunting trip in hard-to-reach places. Wow, that's a whole heap of money, Jase. Uh, former hunting guide and sandbar deer expert Errol Mason said there was a huge potential to expand hunting in Victoria. The industry is growing rapidly, Mr. Mason said. The international tourists were drawn to Victoria as a hunting destination due to its political stability compared to other international hunting locations. And, it's a, and that's a very key, important point, Jason, political stability. I mean, we need some 
political stability in terms of hunting here in New South Wales. We can't have the Greens sticking their nose into our business all the time. But why are we hearing a lot from Victoria about the government? What their government officials are saying down there, especially the Liberal government, is absolutely amazing. We're not hearing any uh, bit of that from our politicians up here. I mean, I think if I saw correctly, uh, it was $439 million to annual yep. uh, yearly uh, injection into the economy uh, right. in those rural areas. So 439 yeah. million even brought in more uh, than the uh, spring carnival. I mean, I think it was yeah. only below something. I can't remember exactly what it was, and I will put up a photo again on the Facebook page. Actually, I do keep going, Muzz. I do have it yeah, here on it's my computer. Absolutely phenomenal number. And uh, I mean, the same thing I'm sure, Jason, is going on in New South Wales, but it's largely unre- unreported. I mean, all you hunters out there, when you go out, you go hunting in the state forest or private properties. You stop at the service stations. You buy, you buy some gear. Um, you know, you fill up your your fuel, and you might stop at a local gun shop, buy some ammo, and all that. All that money goes into the economy. Okay, so uh, the, uh, here one sec, I do have it here. Yeah. The so I didn't beat the spring carnival. The financial bullseye it says mm. hunting number two on the list at four hundred and thirty nine million. The spring racing carnival brought in six hundred and twenty wow. million. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the Australian the Australian Open two hundred and thirty eight million, British and Irish Lions tour eighty million. I mean, the Grand Prix only brought in forty million dollars. Liverpool versus Melbourne victory, uh, thirty five million dollars. So, as I said, four hundred and thirty five million, sorry, four hundred thirty nine million dollars yeah. injected into the Victorian rural economy. Oh, and and when the city, you know, fuel, ammunition, firearms, yep. camping gear, uh, you know, tyres, uh, mechanical uh, repairs, mechanical maintenance. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I mean, second, who? Why would you want to take away such a huge industry uh, yep. for not every Victoria, but around Australia? But it just seems the Napton government and the uh, what's that, Peter Walsh? Yep, uh, Peter they, Walsh yeah, Peter Walsh. Yeah, they just seem to know exactly what's going on down in Victoria. Yet the po- uh, politicians around the country, except for Victoria, don't seem to know what's going on. I mean, at least we've got the game. Uh, we did have the game council with yep. the DPI public DPI land now. hunting here. Um, Queensland doesn't have any public land hunting. And uh, neither does WA as well. So, hmm, very interesting stuff. Well, it's fu- fascinating to think that hunting generated more money than all those other events below it, including the Australian Open. Jace, I mean, people want to hunt more than they want to watch tennis. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know? Hey, it's almost 230, It's just under double, just under double the amount. Yeah. I mean, absolutely amazing. And what, again, why would you want to get rid of that from the economy? It doesn't make sense to me. Go continue. Well, it's a, yeah, well, it's just also on that subject, Jason, it's a strong remind, reminder to, especially everyone in the country, I mean, the Greens want to stop this. You know, they want to stop this economic progress. They want to stop people visiting your towns because, you know, they've, they're, they're on their way to a hunting trip. Um, they're going to try and do everything in their power. So it's really important for everyone in the country to realise that the Greens are not your friend. Anyway, here we go. The article article continues. We also have this wonderful high country where the, where the deer live and you'll, you've got this great forested habitat to hunt in and explore, he said. Hunting has continued to grow in popularity with 46% increase in the number of Victoria game licence holders in the past decade. It's a huge percentage increase. So, yeah. The report identified more than 50 towns across the state where hunting expenditure was estimated to be more than $1 million last year. What do you think of that, Jason? Amazing. amazing. <laughs> I mean, that, that, is, that is amazing. And hunting expenditure in three towns, Traralgon, Rosedale and Mansfield, was upwards of $10 million. 
Wow, $10 million. Can you believe that? While most of the money comes from local hunters, a new licensing system for international hunters has made it easier for overseas hunters to pursue Victorian game such as deer, ducks and quail. Mr. Walsh said a similar report into Hunting Commission in 2006-07 estimated the money spent on game hunting was about $130 million. I was firmly in the belief uh, it hunting would provide a significant economic benefit to Victoria and now this has put some figure behind it, Mr. Walsh said. The people it will attract will be high network individuals, he said. It's not going to be a large-scale operation, but a quality experience which people will pay significant amounts for. Mr. Walsh says the new Game Management Authority, which will come into effect from July, will allow better management of resources and and explore tourism opportunities. But Victorian's Greens leader, here we go, Greg Barber, questioned the findings in the report, describing it as bogus. Apart from the expenditure on bullets, there would be the same benefit to the economy if people went on a camping trip rather than a hunting <laughs> trip. Can you believe this? If I bloke? wasn't hunting, I probably wouldn't bother going camping. <laughs> yeah, four hundred and thirty-nine million dollars to the oh. economy, and this, as I said, folks, this is what the Greens want to stop: four hundred and thirty-nine million injected into the economy, and the Greens don't have any ideas to inject anything into the economy except take away yeah. uh, this uh, fruitful resource from our uh, rural farmers and our rural businesses. I mean. Again, like with Huntfest, when Huntfest was on in Naruma Muzz, yeah. uh, again, these guys are trying to bring people into Naruma. What have the Greens done to bring people into Naruma? Absolutely nothing. We've got thousands of people that yeah. came down for Huntfest, uh, bringing people into Naruma, spending money on motels, spending money on food. Uh, buying stuff from Hunt Fest, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Again, this is what the Greens want to get rid of, but they don't have any ideas to uh, boost the economy in those small areas. But then again, Jace, the, the, the idiocy of these comments by Greg Barber, I mean, camping trip, people aren't going to fly around the world to Victoria to camp. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to drive eight hours to Victorian high country or, or wherever it might be in Victoria so I can camp. There's plenty of local places to camp, and the vast majority of people in Melbourne are not going to go to Victoria High Country to camp. You know, there's, I mean, this would guy. You, would you fly to Zimbabwe just to go camping? Oh yeah, I mean, bring me tent and everything, Jace. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this guy, this guy is, you know, what can you say? Um, he's got, he's got really nothing to say other than, you know, he's. He's wrong. It's bogus. Apparently bogus. it's bogus. Yet he's got no, yeah. he's got no uh, data to refute that it's bogus. And again, this is coming out from a government organisation. These aren't a pro-hunting gun lobby or anything no. like that. This is from the government themselves. And uh, they realise the value that is given to, uh, again, those rural businesses, um, that $439 million. Uh, anything else to finish off on that one, mate, or that's pretty much it? No, that's pretty much the, it for that story, Jason. But uh, here we go. We've got finally some news, Jason, from the DPI. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got Native Bird Management Program. All right, so from July uh, 2014, the New South Wales Department of Primary Industry Game Licensing Unit will administer all licenses for the harvest of native game birds in New South Wales under the Native Bird Bird Management Program. Game bird uh, hunters and landholders who have a current license from the National Parks and Wildlife Service as part of the previous NPWS Game Bird Mitigation Program are still authorised to harvest native game birds until the expiry of these licenses in July. Hunters and landholders wishing to reapply to hunt or harvest native game birds beyond July 2014 must do so 
with the Department of Primary Industries, so the DPI, so the Game Licensing Unit, under the new Native Game Bird Management Program, Jason. So there you go. Everyone knows who knows me knows I love my bird hunting, love getting down the rice, helping out those farmers. Absolutely fantastic. Again, part of the program uh, last year through NPWS when it was supposed to go over the Game Council, which it ended up didn't because obviously the Game Council was uh, disbanded by the O'Farrell government. Uh, part of the conditions of the mm. license through the National Parks and Wildlife Service was that you couldn't use retrieving yeah. dogs, uh, decoys, couldn't use calls. No, we couldn't use calls. So me and my friend went out. We spent, I think, about three or $400 on decoys, calls, uh, and then obviously for last year until it was taken over by the DPI this year. Uh, again, part of that license and conditions when you sign up for the licenses, you can't use any of those items. So I'm really excited this year to actually get down there with uh, some decoys, get the calls. Because, again, I always thought if you've got a big but let's say you got two or three hundred acres of rice mm. and the birds are on flying over to another area of the rice what's wrong with having some decoys and bringing into bringing them into those decoys yep. uh, it just doesn't make sense because they're still on your rice three four hundred meters away so really i don't see a huge huge difference but i'm really excited about that as i know a lot of people are and uh, again the, the stuff regarding mitigation there's also uh, quail and uh, the top knot pigeon i thought the crested pigeon uh, and basically, uh, again, this actually is going to be for the whole of New South Wales. So if there's areas within New South Wales, not just those mitigation areas of the River Rinna, we're talking agricultural cropping, they will be able to apply to the DPI uh, to get permits to um, obviously destruct those pests on their land, uh, which I think is actually great. doesn't just leave it to the Riverina or those other cropping areas of southern New South Wales. Uh, it's going to be all of New South Wales. So if someone's got a crop in, say, far north New South Wales or western New South Wales uh, and they're having issues with you know certain animals uh, affecting their crops then yeah uh, if it needs a permit then they'll be able to get permits good stuff yeah that's great news for all the bird hunters out there so make sure you go to your DPI website I think that's Jason dpi.newsouthwales.gov.au is that correct uh, probably something yes I think it's, yep. that's it yep okay no worries now here we go with more more good news from the DPI everyone and this is um, I, I can't believe it's finally happened it's we've been waiting for so long and already now they've got interim arrangements for our license accreditation so for those of you that have been waiting patiently to get your R license, uh, get on the DPI website. Uh, here it says, hunters who wish to obtain an R license can now register their interest to undertake the R license accreditation course by completing and submitting Form R, Expression of Interest, R license accreditation. The Game Licensing Unit will be organizing R license accreditation courses in various location, locations across the state in mid to late 2014. Okay, initially these courses will be facilitated through the Game Licensing Unit. However, in the near future, approved hunting organizations and other accredited training providers will uh, complete our license accreditation. Finally, I mean, I don't know why this has taken so long, Jason, um, to get people with, uh, you know, to, to get the DPI to start the licensing uh, off again so we can get new, brand new R license hunters. Uh, but, you know, it looks like it's uh, getting on the way. So please... Uh, visit the DPI website, guys, and stay tuned for that. Have a look at all the details. Make sure you stay on top of it. And as soon as you are able to get your R license, get one and go out there and do some hunting. Yeah, now, I, Jace, hang on one sec. I yep. wondered too if this new permit 
like National Parks and Wildlife Service, when they were doing ducks, uh, you had to apply for it every year. But I wonder, because if you look on the back of the DPI mm. license, it's got like special conditions. So I wonder if once you apply for that specific license, it's available for the whole year and basically until you have to renew your license, it's basically uh, eligible for the whole term of the license. So I'm, I'll find out in the next couple of, in the next week or so. I might email the DPI and again, find out if we've got to apply yearly or it's just a basic one off but I want to before Mario goes on the next thing I just want to read an email from Marty Phillips great email normally we do the apathetic shooter but again I sometimes I keep the good emails to myself but I thought it was great to uh, read this one he goes hi mate I heard you mention the double SAA Ripley range a few times during your podcast and I did that's a great range up there very friendly people he goes it's my local range if you're up this way again in the future post something on your page it'd be great to have a shoot with you out there and I'm sure that many of your listeners in the area would come out and meet you I'm a sales rep and I spend many hours in the car list listening to your podcast i love listening to the show and you've inspired me to become more active politically in regards to shooting i've always encouraged friends to take it up but now i've taken my writing to my local member ah good stuff love that about how crap our gun laws are and i've also fired a letter off to our pm fantastic i tell all my mates about your podcast and we're all avid listeners keep up the good work and what you're doing it's so great for us shooters to have a voice in the media it really helps to know that there are other like-minded people out there Hope to catch up with you in Queensland sometime soon. That was Marty Phillips. Tremendous. Yeah, good one. Good one, Marty. Yep, tremendous email there from Marty. Again, that's why I say, guys, you know, even though I'm not voting for the PM, it doesn't mean you cannot vote. Sorry, not vote. It doesn't mean you can't write to your PM. That's what we're saying here. We're not saying yep. vote for Tony Abbott. We're saying write to Tony Abbott because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what political party representatives you have in your specific state. Tony Abbott, at the end of the day, really is the only one that really has the power to either abolish the National Firearms Agreement uh, or anything to do anything to try and get our gun rights back. So, again, obviously you vote for your specific uh, people in Parliament, but, again, when you're actually writing to the Prime Minister, just write to him. You can just even tell him you're actually voting for him. Uh, you don't actually have to vote for him. So, again, we just wanted to clear that up. But, uh, Muzz, what what's the next bit of uh, inform- information you've got there? Yeah, mate, uh, absolutely what you're saying is, is right. And, and everyone in Victoria, all you hunters in Victoria, please ring up the government. Peter Walsh, let them know what a great job they're doing. I mean, the government needs to get feedback from you guys. If they're doing, a, if you think they're doing a great job, and it sounds like they are in terms of hunting in Victoria, let them know that that is fantastic. That you want them to, to continue on doing it, and that you support them. So yeah, absolutely one great. Qu- one, one question I've got though. Um, I mean, obviously, we've got a Shooters and Fishers Party, etc., in yep. Victoria. But, I mean, since the Liberal government is fairly, I would say, very pro-hunting, mm. do you reckon that's affected? Oh, in Victoria, yeah. Yeah, do you reckon that's affected uh, certain pro-gun parties? I mean, any political pro-gun party getting up in Victoria because of the acceptance amongst those two, ma- or at least the two major parties, or at least the Liberal government, uh, of hunting in Victoria? Well, I, I'm not sure. I think it's very important to vote for pro-gun parties, but at the same time, if Labor and Liberal uh, are supporting, uh, you know, the pro-gun parties and uh, are quite receptive to some of these policies, then great. We should definitely uh, let them know how wonderful of a job they're doing. If they're doing a great job, uh, give credit where credit's due. So it doesn't take long at all, guys. If you think a particular minister in government's doing a fantastic job, and you and you like what you like what they stand for, give them give them a call. Find out what their number is. It's not too hard to find out. It only takes, like I said before, Jason. It only takes ten minutes to change the country. 
Yep, what's the next bit of uh, news and current affairs and politics? Okay, so many of you guys would have heard of David Leinholm from the Liberal Democrats, and he has been kicking goals like you would not believe. Fantastic articles in, uh, in the press, including a great article called The Unsettled Science of Gun Laws in uh, uh, Financial Review. And um, really, he's just hit the nail on the head. Fantastically written, uh, very, very intelligent comments. And well done, David. He's been on a lot of social media. Um, he's been on all the major radio stations, 2UE, 2GB, uh, the TV stations, as well as ABC, been interviewed there. And he's been a strong voice for pro-gun, pro-freedom policies. Well done, David. If you get a chance to have a look at that um, article, at the Financial Review, The Unsettled Science of Gun Laws. And it just starts by saying, Australians pride themselves of telling it like it is, but when it comes to gun laws, straight shooting often takes a back seat to a determined effort at silencing debate. Was he giving us a plug there, straight shooting? What do you reckon? I think it, it might have been. <laughs> it might have been. Not too, it's not too bad of a plug, actually. And uh, I won't go through the whole article. I'll let you read it for yourself. But um, uh, really great stuff and well done, David. And just in terms of David, uh, he will be, I uh, guess, uh, making his maiden speech as a New South Wales uh, Upper House Senator. So that will be Wednesday, July 9th. So come support David Leinhelm uh, and the Liberal Democratic Party at, as David gives his first speech as a New South Wales Senator. I'm just reading here from what it says on their Facebook page. So if you want to have a look at more details than that, just get onto the David Leinhelm Facebook page. And afterwards, they're going to have some celebrated drinks in conjunction with the Liberty on the Rocks in Canberra, Jason. All right, we're here again with an episode or another segment of Apathetic Shooter. Apathetic Shooter. Apathetic Shooter. Apathetic Shooter. No, we actually need to make a jingle. We still said we're going to make one, but My we God, how many times have we said that? I mean, we, we really need to um, get going on that one, Jason. I oh, know. Here we go. This one's from Paul, and this was on an article uh, about the U.S. gun laws. He goes, I handed in, this is when Obama was talking about uh, mm. wanting to go more like Australia. He goes, I handed in a couple of guns in during the buyback. Wasn't too thrilled at the time. But soon got over it. Shame, 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 Paul. And he goes, I'm happier in the knowledge that the potential for another Port Arthur massacre, uh, style massacre has significantly diminished, you know, just like New Zealand, I guess. Yeah, well, um, that's he, very clever comments there. Yeah, here we go. Another one from Phil, and he's responding to Rob, Fat, and Phil, whatever that means. Anyway, he goes, oh, please, unless, you're, unless you require a gun for your job, i.e. policeman, you don't need to keep a gun at home and this is one's from sue she was replying to a comment from trent she as trent was actually talking about ga- uh, gangs shooting each other like these bikey gangs she says well gangs aren't going into colleges and universities schools in the usa and killing people single white males with no life who play violent video games and have <laughs> easy access to guns are and if they didn't have access to guns i'm sure they wouldn't have the guts to kill anyone with their hands it's easy to pull a trigger on a gun. In the USA, people buy their kids guns for Christmases and birthdays. It's like it's their God-given right to own one. Well, I'm glad actually shoot, uh, Sue actually pointed that out because it is their right because of their Second Absolutely. Amendment, their Constitution, and their Bill of Rights. Not to mention, Jason, it's your basic human right yeah, to defend yourself. Sue doesn't believe that. She believes helpless, unarmed, and helpless. You've got to be unarmed and uh, be ready to be pillaged. Uh, here's another one from uh, Ian. He goes, I too had to give up a pump-action shotgun during the buyback. Barrel too short. But I was okay having to give it up. 
I get the sad impression that the USA has gone too far already. Too many guns to make a buyback possible. Yeah, it was over, I think it was over something like 350 million guns or something. Mm. Uh, well, I guess there is some hope. They at least don't allow people to have hand grenades and rocket launchers. I so think they, they do in some states. <laughs> <laughs> so they do accept some limits to their so-called right to bear arms. Uh, I hate to imagine what tragic event will change things in the USA. Now, this is the interesting part, the right to bear arms, their so-called right to bear arms. See, a lot of countries will never, they, ever... They will never understand American freedom. They will never understand because we don't have a constitution, no. we don't have a Bill of Rights, and they don't know uh, what it means to them. And to finish off uh, my part of the apathetic shooter here, this was a great one from Neville Johnson. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, Neville actually is Australian because his, his uh, picture is a mateship photo with the Australian flag. Now he says, that is what, this was in conjunction to an issue about the Badgeries Creek. You know, the guy was killed with a baseball bat uh, in his house uh, at 3 a.m. in the morning a few weeks ago. He goes, that is why I teach my family to shoot and self-defense. Laws are written on a piece of paper. We use paper to wipe our asses with, not not save lives with. Well done, Neville Johnson. 100% agree with that. Mars, what do you got for the apathetic shooter? Give us a uh, good one there. Well, I've got a bit of a uh, lengthy article um, from the Shepparton News. Uh, this is called Australian Gun Law Reform Reflection. Okay, and as you know, Obama's been saying he wants Australian gun laws and been talking it up quite a lot. I mean, really, Obama. I just, I just can't wait, Jason, for one of, one of the Republicans to impeach him. There's so many things this guy has absolutely stuffed up in the United States, um, and uh, really, uh, the list can just go on. He's a complete failure as a president, but still, our lefty media paints him in a very shining light. Okay, so President Obama uh, reflected on Australian gun laws during a televised address two hours after a U.S. high school student was shot dead. Australia had a mass shooting similar to Columbine or Newtown, and Australia said, that's it, we're not seeing that again, and basically imposed very severe tough gun laws, President Obama said. The shooting he was referring to was the 96 Port Arthur Massacre. Okay, they're constantly referring to the Port Arthur Massacre. They will, they'll never, ever, ever stop referring to it, and, you know, they always bring it out of the bag. Okay, so the, uh, the then Prime Minister, John Howard, reacted by introducing tough new gun laws. In most cases, automatic, semi-automatic weapons were banned and 700,000 were brought from their owners and destroyed. Federal member for Murray, uh, Sharman Stone, who entered Parliament about the time Port Arthur uh, massacre, said it was a difficult time. One of our worries in Murray was that the, at the time, Victoria had some of the best gun laws in Australia, Dr Stone said. We didn't want to see a dumbing down of gun laws because Queensland and Tasmania were so slack at the time. No, I mean, we're more interested in dumbing down people, aren't we, Jason? Making sure that they don't, that they're not, they don't receive any kind of education whatsoever in uh, proper, proper firearm use and, you know, and, and using all types of weapons. No, we don't want to dumb down the gun laws. We'd rather dumb down the people. Okay, anyway, it goes on to say, we came through with a compromise and certainly Australia doesn't see those appalling events like in the United States where any children get hold of assault weapons where in a fraction of a minute they can kill and maim so many. But she said Australia's different gun culture, which she describes as, as responsible, played a bigger part in preventing further massacres than tougher gun laws. I'm surprised she said that. And we understand and very responsibly use an appropriate gun for livestock management and injuries on farm for pest control, Dr. Stone said. 
Field and Game Australia Chief Executive Rob Drew, based in Seymour, echoed Dr Stone's sentiments about the difference between the two nations. We don't have that Second Amendment in Australia. Firearm ownership is a privilege. Oh, here we go again. Just like driving a car, Mr Drew said. Unbelievable. Uh, He goes on to say, uh, he said, Mr Howe's laws did go too far when they took small calibre automatics and shotguns from hunters and farmers. At the end of the day, what happened was we had a maniac in Tasmania perpetrate this terrible tragedy, but law-abiding firearm owners were made to pay for that, Mr Drew said. I mean, I'm glad he said that. Shepherd and hunting store owner Steve Thalel agreed. In the Australian situation, Howe probably got it right as as far as military-style weapons, Mr. Tharrell said. But he got it wrong in terms of sporting, sporting type of semi-automatic firearms. Um, he said the courts needed to treat criminals found guilty of gun-related crime more so harshly. Mr. Tharrell said gun crime would continue to exist. All the amount of scrutiny and or licensing is unlikely to help that uh, that statistically, Mr. Tharrell said. So he's saying, and excuse me for my reading, guys, um, he's saying that basically the amount of scrutiny and licensing is unlikely to help that statistic and also he's saying that it makes no difference. He's also talking about the removal of semi-automatic sporting firearms. But, I mean, what's the difference, you know, military style? How does you owning a military style firearm make you any more or less dangerous than to a non-military style firearm, Jason? I don't know. See, and I was a bit disappointed with um, – I've had Rod Drew on my show from Field and Game – uh, before, actually twice mm. on my show, and I really like Rod, and they've promoted my show uh, and everything in between. They've even got on their website, and I do appreciate that. But again, we've got to stop telling people, and this is the part that gets me the most. Whilst it might be a privilege, I think it's a human right. Uh, the government tells us it's a privilege, but we do, well, we, do we really need to? We shouldn't be saying that. Do we really need to keep telling? Do hunters and shooters need to keep telling the media and keep reinforcing the general public that it is actually a privilege? I really just don't understand that, and I don't think it's doing us any favours whatsoever. And it's a really stupid move from us to say things like that. Yep. Um, again, they had an opportunity and a platform to come out and to say some really, really awesome stuff in saying these laws are too harsh, we want our rights and our freedoms back, and we're not going to stop until we get our rights and freedoms back because law-abiding firearms owners do the right thing. Uh, we shouldn't be responsible uh, for the actions of these mentally deranged people. But instead they chose the... Uh, politically correct mm. line of thinking, which was, oh, it's a privilege, but, you know, yeah. the sporting... Se- Mate, what's the difference between a sporting semi-automatic and, say, a, you know, Mini Ford M16 exactly. US or, or even a Steyr rifle because the military use it? I mean, it's the, yeah. same, it's the same thing. Maybe magazine capacity might be a little bit different. But, again, what's the difference between, say... A uh, Ruger, se- Ruger ten twenty two, yeah, or, or let's say an AR fifteen versus the Oz style that the army uses. What's the difference? They're both semi-automatic. There's no difference at all, except on how it looks. I mean, this is what what I don't get. These guys are buying into this military style stuff that all of a sudden, ah, uh, if I have a military style firearm, that I'm going to be ten times more dangerous than with yeah. a sporting semi-automatic. Yeah, know? what's the difference between say, you know, I just a, don't understand what the logic is, especially if if you got an AR. 15 with a 10 round magazine i mean obviously apart from the caliber difference how is that any different to a ruger 1022 with a 10 round magazine you know apparently it's not it's not well really it's not it's both the same capacity both the same i guess a uh, style of uh, function it's a semi-automatic gun um, and again we just don't need to hear this know. from these hunters 
and shooting fishing community. I, I said I really like rod. I really do. I think you know, the field and game are doing some amazing stuff. But again, we just don't need to come out into the media and say this type of stuff. I don't think it's helping our cause. And again, if you're really trying to educate the public, educating constant that it's a privilege is really is bad news in my opinion. Absolutely, and, and not helping it. Yeah, and um, and like, uh, why can't these guys just stand up and say, look? Uh, licensing is very important. We need to make sure that the guns are not sold to the wrong kind of people. So licensing and background checks are really important. But really, after that's done, the type of firearm a person owns makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. Just because something looks like military-style firearm, I mean, what what is it going to all of a sudden get up on its own volition and you know shoot people it doesn't make it any more or less dangerous than any other gun Jason. i did hear someone at the registry before say it actually it does matter how it looks because oh, if people are, if people are freaked out by it Ooh. then then it's it's uh, public safety if someone thinks you know it's a military style like i did hear someone say that when i was actually talking to them on the phone but mate, i wanted to go on to the next one this one's a really good one we didn't oh. But, sorry. Uh, sorry. What did you mean if people are freaked out about it? What are you, do you normally uh, go out in public and uh, show everyone your guns, Jace? No, not really. Oh, but right. Okay. If you had like, a, I'm saying, if you had like, a, let's say, a fake one, it looks somehow militarized, and because I think there was a, there was one the other week where a guy uh, had. I, I mean, the, the point that I'm trying to make, Jason, is that um, the point I'm trying to make is that you normally wouldn't. Uh, you know, be carrying your guns out in the open anyway. <laughs> no, but there was a guy in Queensland too the other day had one of those fake guns and uh, the neighbour saw him out the back with it and called the police. Remember that? It was in uh, Gold Coast and we'll get that article for next week because I think it's a great article. Yep. And uh, SWAT was on the scene and everything with his toy gun. And uh, unfortunately, the police and the next door neighbour were made to look a bit foolish uh, for ringing up and saying he had a gun, which I think is fair enough. Now, Jace, uh in response to that article, uh, the Australian Gun Law Reform, Reform Reflection, there was a quick reply to the article, and this is by Mark, and he says, Mr. Uh, Mr. Rod Drew, it is not a privilege. You sh- should we say thank you to the government for letting you own a firearm? As a representative of the FGA, I am somewhat stunned with your comment. Driving a car and owning a firearm is a small-minded comment, with misplaced reasoning. I can own any car I please, provided I have the funds. It is my right to do such. Provided I am of sound mind, firearms should be no different. And as a representative of thousands, uh, should be championing this cause. Small caliber versus medium caliber versus large caliber. Oh my God. You should not be differentiating between caliber. The government went too far. The end. Who are you to say a twenty two is okay, but a three oh eight is not? Your comments sound as if... You have been drinking the Kool-Aid and are not the comments of appropriate representation. There you go. Look at that, Jace. All right. Another one we've got here is, uh, this was a great one. Again, we forgot to mention this one on the uh, last Fortnite show, which I think is really great. Uh, We all know the Game Council was shut down with the regulatory authority uh, by the Steve Dunn report uh, under the O'Farrell government. Now, we know we've said it before, O'Farrell's gone. Uh, Mike Gallagher's gone, the police minister, for uh, allegedly uh, pushing these funds through the 8 by 5 dummy. What do they call it? Uh, what sort of corporation is it? A front called Yeah, the uh, front. A front for uh, Liberal Party donations. Now, we all know Eddie Obede and Joe Tripodi have been in trouble. Now, it says here, ICAC finds Eddie Obede, Joe Tripodi, and Steve Dunn corrupt over a series of deals. Yeah. Uh, former New South Wales Labor power, power brokers Eddie O'Beat and Joe Tripodi has been found to be corrupt over the non-disclosure of ownership of cafes at Sydney Circular Key Wharfs and attempts to renew the leases without a tender. 
Now, this is the interesting part because apparently these tenders were given out for half the price uh, of, of what they would have gone on the public market through the tender process. Steve Dunn, the former deputy CEO of the Maritime Authority, was also found to be corrupt by using his position to benefit Mr. Obeid and his family uh, by bringing about a change to the commercial lease policy. ICAC heard that Mr. Dunn was a long-time associate of Mr. Mm. Obeid, having worked with him for years before that when Mr. Obeid was a minister. Mr. Obeid has consistently denied any corruption and told the ICAC that it was purely coincidental that his family benefited from the advocacy for leaseholders at Circular Quay. The inquiry had, sorry, heard from one of his employees that both he and wife received wads of cash each week from the restaurants which Mr. Obeid denied. Now again, I'm actually going to write to the uh, Minister for Primary Industries, Katrina Hodgkinson, about this because how can we possibly now uh, take this report uh, about the Game Council, I mean even remotely serious because 12 months ago this wouldn't have been a reality. 12 months later, the guy who wrote the a report that sunk the regulatory authority of the game counts has been found to be corrupt. I mean, how can we possibly even take this serious? Barry yeah. O'Farrell's gone. Michael Gallagher's gone. Gallagher. Uh, the environment officer of environment and heritage is Robin Parker. She's gone too under the reshuffle uh, of the bad government. So, I mean, you really couldn't write this stuff. Apparently, uh, from the SHOT Show, Robert Brown did say Minister Gallagher or former Minister Gallagher, uh, the police minister, was actually a friend of the shooters. So I'm mm. surprised since I'm he was... I'm surprised to hear that too. Yeah, since he was fairly instrumental, what I've heard, with the ammunition bill as well, and obviously supporting it. Um, again, on behalf of probably, no doubt, Scipioni, police commissioner. You know, again, yeah. police are always going to want more power, guys. I mean, again, I've got friends that are police officers too. It's not We're not hacking on police by any stretch of the imagination. But again, of course, the police are always going to want more money, more officers, and more power just makes sense so again yep. as i said corruption mr uh steve dunn found on corruption i mean amazing stuff amazing stuff and you know i guess it's a little bit too far too late now considering uh you know he wrote the report and considering the game council's already defunct so not sure what we're going to do but Mars looks like you got another one over there mate what you got on that one there well um basically jace as you know uh you interviewed pete johnson from the sfp and it was a pretty good interview and um I'll be honest with you, Jace, uh, you know, this is straight shooting and I really wasn't a big fan of uh, some of the Fisher policies that Pete Johnson was talking about in regards to especially the SFP uh, planning to uh, retain the fishing licence or what I call it the fishing tax. Uh, they've got, they will have no plans to abolish it. They are looking at uh, established fishing authority, a game council type authority. Uh, a regulatory so, authority, I think, yep. on uh, fishing, so fishing science. Yep. Uh, again, so very interesting. Keep going, mate. Sorry. Yeah, well, um, basically I wanted to just break down to the interview for all you guys listening out there because uh, I think people need to know what the policy is. Now, uh, the interview started pretty fine and... Um, Pete Johnson was saying, Pete Johnson's a fantastic bloke, a really likable guy. And what Mar- I'm attacking Mar- Mario here- gave him a bit of a, a little bit of a bollocking at the shot show, asking about the fishing uh, license, or as, as Mars calls it, the fishing Yeah, tax. I don't want to give away too much, Jason, Sorry, because I, I want to I wanna let the, I wanna let the uh, punters out there hear it for themselves. Now, it's very important for me to um, tell people, what I'm attacking here is not the party or the person, it's the policy. Okay, the policy, I think, is a potential uh, vote splitter amongst fishers because i'm certainly not a fan of it and i just want to go through some of the things that pete johnson said in the interview so he basically starts off with saying that uh, the fish in the water belong to the people of new south wales 
They are not for sale to the highest bidder by this government. Sounds good. Then he goes on to uh, say that everyone has a common law right to access our waters and fish for a feed, and he will be fighting for that. Sounds good too. I mean, I'm not sure, absolutely sure if it's a common law right, but it's more of a uh, basic human right. That all sounded good, but then didn't sound so good later on. So then he talked about a whole bunch of fishers complaining about the lack of inspectors and goes on to say how wonderful it was that inspectors are out there checking up and finding fishermen. I mean, I don't know about you, Jason, but I'm certainly not a fan of inspectors. I certainly don't want any inspectors out there. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to have to pay a tax to go fishing. But anyway, they say they have no plans to abolish the tax and they're going to use the funds to, uh, for a game council type body for fishing. Now, the other thing is too, which I don't like about this uh, tax, Jason, is that if you're a miner, a pensioner or indigenous, you don't, you don't need to pay it. So it's quite discriminatory, uh, I yeah. find it. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're the average punt outer, you work hard, you've got to pay. One question that I've got for you, you said that, and I'm going to challenge you on this one, I'm going to yep. challenge you a little yeah, bit, you ahead. said you don't want anyone out there checking licenses, but don't you think we should at least have, you know, at least some people out there checking, because we've got, you know, no, no disrespect or racism, there's certain cultures out there that, you know, head to the wharf, catch a lot of these small fish, and I've actually seen them, they've actually got like mincers there with them on the wharf, as soon as they bring it up, boom, straight in the mincer, because they make fish cakes out of them, so how do we make sure that people, that people are doing the right thing? Well, I mean, I don't think we need to make sure that people are doing the right thing. I think fishing was fine before this started. Uh, you're talking about checking up on people. Well, if you don't have a licensing system or a taxation system, then you don't need to check up on people. Uh, I'm for abolishing the whole regime. Pete Johnson himself in the interview said that less than 1% of fishing trips end up with a bag limit. So mm-hmm. my, point, my point is, why have a bag limit? I certainly don't want to have to be, well, especially when I go fishing, I do go fishing every now and then, I don't want to have to be constantly checking the rule books as to how many brim I'm allowed to catch or how many snapper or it's, whatever that's it might be. an interesting part about people. Probably you know? right, especially if you're in Sydney, you probably never really do catch a bag limit because uh. but obviously fishing is quite difficult unless you go to certain out-of-the-way places and you might sort of get your bag limit. But but even, even on the occasion, Jason, if you're having a good day and you might catch about five or six snapper and you, you don't want to have to be worried about, oh, geez, have I reached my bag limit? Am I over? Am I under? And then if the inspector does happen to come along and you've enjoying your day and he goes, oh, no, mate, you've got one more than what's allowed, here's your fine. Yeah. Oh, I, thanks I, a lot. You I, know? I think the biggest issue I reckon is even worse is people that say are retired. I reckon the possession limit should go because let's say you go out one day, you're living in an area, you know, Bermagui, whatever it may be, you're out there fishing. Um, you know, Again, if you've got more of a possession limit you can actually be done too let's say you want you're getting 10 i don't know brim or 10 say 10 brim or flathead a day you know in seven days going to give you like 70 flathead or 70 brim or a mixture and again if you're doing that over over many many weeks because you're actually living off the land again you know possession limit if you're traveling around and want to keep that food freezed up and ready to go when you actually might need a meal yeah but then again jace my point is how do you police that you can't police that well yeah true. it's it's impossible so my point is why why have the regime at all why, well, why get, have it at all? And, unless, um, they, unless they come and look in your freezer at the campground, you know what I mean? But, you know, if, you, if it's actually good, like a freezer full of fish. Yeah, well, the, the other thing is too, Jace, uh, the money that's been generated by the fishing tax is spent on really stuff that's, I don't know, I, I certainly wouldn't call it money well spent for the fishers. No. I mean, we've had the dive wreck, apparently money being spent on that. They sunk yeah. a boat somewhere in the middle of... Uh, Sydney somewhere on, off the heads or wherever it might be so that divers can go diving. I mean, I don't know about you, Jace, but 
if the divers want a wreck, let them pay for it. Yeah, how how can we <laughs> how can we stop this? And this is what you you actually had a quite interesting thought on this too. How can we stop the government spending money on things uh, for fishing that should be spent on fishing that are spent on other things? You said well, we can't trust the government not to spend the money uh, on things that aren't fishing no. related. So therefore, get rid of it. And Absolutely the, not. I guess the question is before the fishing license or the fishing tax and say let's say that they do build up a regulatory authority was fishing in such a way prior to these things was fishing in such a bad way that now say five or ten years later is fishing that much better off because we've got a fishing license i mean i know there's issues with you know we've created more wars we've created disability access and all that's great i think this is where the shooters and fishers have to i feel personally they've got to go back to the table and revisit their core ideologies and uh really the 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 water the coastline and the fish that are in it always belong to the people and then the government decided to slap a tax on it now when you slap a tax on something what you're actually saying is that look it doesn't really belong to you it belongs to the government and unless you pay the tax we'll have inspectors out there fining you for using what's really belongs to you anyway it's your basic human right to fish for a feed I am in strong support of abolishing the fishing tax. I think we cannot trust the government to use the money wisely. I think uh, it is a major impediment to the sport. Um, I certainly, I'm the sort of fisherman that I like spontaneous fishing. I don't want to have to be worried about having a license or not having a license if I see a nice place when I'm driving by somewhere. I want to be able to stop and fish without having to look over my shoulder. To be honest, the shooters and fishers, they're in support of abolishing the firearms registry. They're in support of abolishing... Um, license categories. License categories. They're in support of abolishing the ammo bill. They're in support of abolishing the National Firearms Agreement. Why would you not be in support of abolishing the fishing license? I mean, we understand we need to be licensed for firearms because firearms are a completely different thing. We're talking about fishing rods here. We're talking about bait and sinkers and you know tackle. I mean, does everyone really want more government in their tackle box? I certainly don't. I mean, I want the tackle box free from government. I want my fishing free. I, I mean, I'm an Australian. I, I, I want the water returned back to the people and all the fish that are in it. And the other thing is too, Jace, um, there's this argument that somehow all these people, especially from different ethnic backgrounds, uh, that they're somehow doing some sort of huge damage by taking undersized fish and all that. I mean, I challenge that. I, I, I cannot believe for a second that the recreational fisherman is doing that much damage to the environment. I just don't believe that sort of bogus ideology, that sort of, um, that sort of notion. Um, I, I believe whatever damage they're doing is negligible at best. And also, Jace, uh, Pete was talking about that the money is going towards uh, funding a hatchery in the uh, in the Kosciuszko National Gatton Park. Hatchery, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, how many people go there and fish? I mean, this, this money, it's always going to be used to benefit a tiny minority of fishers out there. And I don't see, I, I don't think it's, we're ever going to see the real benefits of it. And I think the shooters and fishers to, should be pushing hard to abolish it. And I think they need to go back to the table because this is, Jason, a lot of people talk about different political parties splitting the vote and all that stuff. I mean, this is one policy that I believe will definitely split the fishing vote because I know a lot of people that are fishermen that are sick to death of this tax. They, they think it's a, a, a big impost to their lifestyle. 
Um, it's a big white elephant. Yeah, I, I pretty <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it's a it's a good money spinner for politicians, but that's pretty much it. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, that one. I said, I think we should get rid of it too. I think it's important to, again, give the fishing back to the people. As I said, if they do bring in, let's say, a regulatory authority with for science, which you know, is great to get all the science, but again, was fishing in such a way before that now with the fishing tax, that's been, how long is it? It's been over 10 years now, I'm sure. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, is fishing that much better off? Have we gotten our value for money? I guess that's the that's the specific question. But any, anything else on there from Peter Johnson you wanted to break down, or was that pretty much it? Well, that that was pretty much it. I just wanted to make those points, and uh, I seriously hope that the SFP will revisit this policy. All right, guys, before we finish off, we wanted to thank Mike from Applause Press in Queensland who printed us out a 100 Australian hunting podcast posters. So we thought we'd just give him uh, a bit of a shout-out. Applause Press, uh, Unit 4 of 30, Centenary Place, Logan Village, Queensland, 4207. So, again, that was Applause Press in Queensland, and we want to thank Mike for doing us the Australian hunting podcast posters. Yeah, Mike from Applause Press. Thank you very much, Mike, for being a wonderful supporter of the show. So for all your business cards needs, letterheads, docket books, stickers, brochures, booklets, flyers, and all other printing needs, call Mike on Applause Press at 7 That's 7 Applause Press in Logan Village, Queensland. Well, there's another episode of the Straight Shooting Podcast. Look out uh, over the next week or so uh, for the double SHOT Show special, released uh, one in the first week and then the second episode the week after. Um, Again, it was a lot of information to edit. Um, It was a fun time. We had a lot of great time, uh, myself and Muzz. We wore our AHP shirts. We spoke to a lot of different people. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. We gave our signs to a few of the guys to put up in their their booths, and they did it for us. SFP, I think the ALDP uh, was absolutely fantastic. So it was a great time. Uh, again, look out for those episodes in the Shot Show. Looking forward to bringing you more straight shooting, more uh, information pol- and politics on hunting, shooting, and fishing here in Australia. As usual, I am Jason Selms, and I'm Mario Blatko. See you next time. You're listening to the Straight Shooting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.